This episode of the Curious Life podcast is brought to you by the sneaky treat company Melbourne, decadent sweet treats delivered to your door. Let your friends, family or clients know that you're thinking of them with a box of goodies and a personalised note to send along with your gift. TheSneakyTreatCo.com. You know you want to. episode you'll hear from Stacey June who in her own words is a self-care coach, author, broadcaster, mama de Brin and a woman who does not suffer falls. She has a passion for women's voices being heard and delves into topics others fear to broach and that's exactly where she and Yana go. Stacey's got a brand new book single pringle it'll teach you how to stop wishing away your single life and learn to flourish alone and is set to be the best how-to guide we didn't know we needed there's some stunning pieces of advice coming up some that may even take you by surprise in this very candid chat with stacy june in just a moment on the curious life podcast This is the first interview I've done where someone's had it in their hand. Oh, really? All very new. No, I love I love getting the actual book. Mm. I just get so much more out of it, you know, just a whole. And I think most of my reading I do now on my Kindle because I, mm. the only time I can read is in bed when there's no one else needing anything from me. So to actually get a physical copy of a book is like a real pleasure. I love it. She's pretty too. She is. And so, of course, I'm talking to Stacey June, who is the author of this beautiful book, Single Pringle. And there's so much there that I want to unpack, Stacey. There's just so much of yourself in there. There's so much great advice for young women or, well, don't even need to be that young. I think it's for anyone who's gone through or is in a single period of their lives and there's so much more to it you talk about self-care which is a really massive massive piece of what you're doing and who you are at the moment so there's so much I want to get into but I guess the first question is what prompted you to write this book it was definitely a little bit more of a divine kind of download, to be honest. I'm a storyteller, so that's not new news for me to want to share my story, but it was very new news for me to want to share it in the medium of a book. I'm a radio broadcaster, I say by trade, because I feel like that's what I'm, I've done for the majority of my life. But I think underlying all of that is the storytelling skill and passion, I suppose, and finding ways to express my story and my truth to hope connect something within someone else. And when I say connect, I don't necessarily mean me to them, but them to themselves. I do believe stories allow us to do that. And I think it's the most, it's certainly been the most powerful way I've learned. I would tell my stories of dates or different things I was finding challenging as a single woman on the radio when I had a show or on my former podcasts. But It was the book that I suppose came through in a way that was very clear to me that it was going to reach an audience that I felt I couldn't in those ways. I felt like we had such a strong following and it got us to a certain point. But this book, I feel like, I don't know, it was something that I felt could get to the people it needed to get to. Because I suppose in a way, as a single woman, it's not something you always 
feel confident leading in with at a conversation or you always, you'll feel confident leading in with with yourself. So a book is this beautiful little gift that you can give yourself to have that privacy, that sacred moment, that intimacy with yourself. And also on the flip side of that, offer a very intimate form of company when you at times may feel very isolated or alone. The long answer to your question is that I didn't really ever, I suppose, consider it as a book. It definitely felt like it came through from something else. And I think I started to write notes about particular guys I dated and I never called them by their first name. So it would be Mr. Baby Daddy or Mr. Lawyer or Mr. This or Mr. That. Very much like that sex. I grew up on Sex and the City. So then what I learned when I was really trying to keep in a positive headspace as a single woman, I would write the lesson I learned from each of them. So I didn't feel discouraged or disheartened by the fact that they weren't turning out sometimes that I wanted them to. And then sure enough, those lessons turned into bigger stories. And I could, I very much felt on an intuitive perspective, first and foremost, that it was meant to be a book. I think I am undiagnosed, but dyslexic to some degree. And I also was told as a student that I wasn't the strongest writer. So it certainly wasn't something that I conspired to do or to have on my vision board, but it's something I'm so, so proud that I have and totally see myself now as a writer and an author. Amazing. Well, that was going to be my next question then. Do you consider yourself a writer now? Because that is such an important message. So often you hear these terrible stories of teachers and important adult figures in young people's lives telling kids what they can't do. So this is just another example of not listening to that crap and actually just going with your gut and doing something that you're passionate about. I think as well, I talk a lot about following your intuition. The book is very led around really the main intention is for you to have a better conversation with you, what I call your inner friend, your intuition. And I certainly know that's the next big project I'll be working on after this book. But the book is really the foundation of how to find a good conversation with that, as is most of my work. It's very clear what my purpose is for us to have a good conversation and the practical skills of how to get in touch with her, him, they which is why I started the self-care club is to be able to practice uh, at your self-care like a bit of a gym. But it is funny because I need to also share the stories of how I really lent on that and and showed that it's important, but also that it's scary just because you might have a good conversation with her. I was told by a million people that a book or an author or a writer was not something I was, but my intuition said otherwise. And it wasn't so much that my intuition said, write a book. It was these stories are a book. This needs to be told as a story in a book. It wasn't so much about the title or the meaning or the end picture. It was what I felt in the day to day that led me do one foot in front of the other. So I went, okay, if this story is in written form, I'll write an article about it or a blog post about it. And I didn't even necessarily have to share that. But that was a big thing for me who spoke as a profession, not wrote as a profession. But then sure enough, I started writing columns for news.com.au. I would get feedback that they did quite well. I also realized that there weren't many other single women speaking about being single. As I said earlier, it wasn't something that everybody's always felt proud or like pride in. So I think it's really important to break down that intuitive process and understand that your intuition isn't going to say to you, you're going to earn $2 million in six years, or you will be an author necessarily. It's the little pockets of confidence or the little beautiful cheerleader voice you get day to day. And that could be as little as, or big, 
if you ask me, as you look beautiful today, or you're doing great at your job today, or you could really further yourself and take on that promotion or go for that job. And bit by bit, if you start to follow it, the bigger picture starts to unfold to you. Your intuition doesn't tell you the big picture story straight up. And sometimes it does if you're super, super checked in. But at the beginning process, those little things will lead you to the big things. And I would argue that those little things are actually the big things. <laughs> mm, definitely, 100%. And I think there's so many things that you touched on then. First of all, the concept of being single and that sense of isolation that so many young women feel, particularly at that crucial time, because like your story, this really resonated with me. I was single for eight years at a time when all of my friends were getting married, all of them were in long-term relationships. And there is, you're constantly fighting this this sense of what society expects of young women, what your friends and family expect of you, the quote unquote helpful conversations that they're constantly having with you about your standards. Are you being beat too picky? Like what's wrong with you that you're not finding a man? And you know, all of that eeps in. It's a lot to take on. And I remember being in a, a sort of constant state of flux between feeling really confident and happy with, this is really fun. I'm really enjoying being on my own to actually I'm really lonely and miserable and nobody gets mm. it. This is really hard. And then also having to feel like you constantly, I had to sort of make it seem like I was loving being single in mm. times when I really wasn't just because it's embarrassing to be single. A book like this would have been magic for me to read at that time, to know that there are other people that feel exactly the same way that I do. So I think for even just for that reason alone, it's so important for anyone in that situation to read your book. Can you tell me what it was like writing about that time in your life again? Because now you're obviously happily married. You've got a little one. Life looks really different than it did for that single period of time for you. So what was it like going through all of that journey again? There's a few parts I wanted to bring up just on the earlier thing you said. I think it's really important, anyone listening that did feel that sense of that they've been told they're too picky, I write about this in the book, to encourage you to change the word from picky to specific. I just wanted to really share that before I forgot because I think it's so important. You don't get told you're picky when you look for the right job or look for the right investment in your house or look for the right outfit for a Saturday night. I actually use that analogy. It's like we walk around from shop to shop and maybe look for a dress for a wedding for three months online <laughs> and we're not told we're too picky when it comes to a dress yet. When we're looking for a life partner, many of us are, not all of us, but many of us are, we're told that that's a pick, your picky thing. Like, Yes, I'm picky, but if it makes you feel better, choose specific instead of picky. Anyway, the writing process was long, so it did reach and hit very different parts of my life. At the beginning, as I mentioned, they were more notes and articles for different websites and was telling the stories in the moment, which I think is super important too. The book really, I hope, connects with a single woman regardless of what my relationship status is now because it was conceived from my single self. You know, the book is totally written from that person as opposed to the person that did it and came out on the other side. Now, there's obviously some comfort in the fact that if you're looking for a life that I have, that great, a lot of the things I did in the book are there and that's what happened for me. But what it could also open up is that you may think you want the life 
similar life to what I have. And when I say life, I mean a child and a husband or a wife or whatever. But maybe you'll read the book and realize that's actually not your truth. And that's what the book is about making sure that you're checking in with what your version of truth is. So that looked very different for me across the course of writing it. At the beginning, I was single. Then I was really early stages with meeting Ben and finding it quite empowering to be on the precipice of something else, but then also very proud of what I had achieved, but still feeling very unsure and scared in where I was. So there's all these different parts. And then to really open up, I sent my manuscript off the month before Brinny, my child was born. And I had a very big, quite dramatic conception process with him as well. So the book was kind of going along with me. And then I birthed him and birthed the book within the, you know, I guess maybe a month. And then I got the book back and my publisher, who was beautiful, but found this conversation very hard to have with me, said, Stace, you're in this book. We love it, but the voices are different. We have Stacey June as the coach and Stacey June as the single girl. And we need to make a decision of who's writing this book because mm-hmm. it's, there's two voices. So I made the decision to write the book as the single girl and had to do not so much a rewrite of the content, but it was just making sure I was sitting in the seat of her perspective. So that behind the scenes was incredibly challenging. I was breastfeeding my six-week-old and trying to then really sit in my single self. So I have not only lived this life as a single woman, but I have lived her three times over in the rebirthing of the book, (laughs) even in my current life. So to say I'm excited that she's here and done (laughs) is an understatement. But, But I guess on the flip side of that, the greatest gift I ever gave myself was read writing this book because when I was becoming and am still becoming a new mother, learning the lessons of what I learned as a single Pringle in this time, I have pulled from every day of this journey, every single day of becoming a new mum and finding my way as a partner in life as opposed to a single Pringle has been so important for me to keep my single Pringle values and keep my single Pringle sense of self. And it has allowed me to remind myself of just how important it is for me to be a part of this picture as a solo person, as well as a mother and a partner. So I will continue to pull from this book in my life now. And I'm very grateful that as much as it was very challenging at the time that I had the opportunity to learn the lessons I learned from my single self in this part of my life, because really at the end of the day, I do think we need to learn how to flourish alone, regardless of what our relationship status is. Yeah, a hundred percent. And I think that for a lot of people, the fear that comes with being in a relationship or getting into a new relationship is the fear that you're going to lose yourself. Mm. And that being in a relationship means that you become dependent or codependent. But I think I'm more independent in this relationship that I'm in than I've ever been in any other relationship in my life. And I think Similarly to your story, I think it comes from having that long period of time where I worked out who I was, what I wanted, what I didn't want, specifics of what I wanted in a relationship and how to be alone and actually genuinely be okay with it. Yeah, Yeah. I found it hard out of that. Like, so Ben and I, what I've realized, I don't, we didn't fall under this category, but I've only just learned some terms around falling hard in your infatuation when you fall super high like you really get that infatuation period and then that lust period before love but it moves really deep and really quick 
which I had manifested essentially. I think I knew from a biological perspective, I want, I needed time to be single for a while, but then that was going to take me to a certain part of my thirties that meant if I want three or four kids, I'm going to have to get busy. So I, all of that happened as I thought it would or felt it would. But to be really honest with you, I had to learn some of my lessons again after coming out of that really big period. I think that we fell hard. We got engaged really quickly. We tried for a baby really quickly. We miscarried. I, you know, I, I, I kind of ended up folding a business in that time. So there was a lot that I'd become super dependent on and had all gone and found myself in a way single again, if that makes sense. So I'd come out of a business relationship. I'd found myself coming in and out of that real early stage of that love bug intensity. So it was a bit of a hit. It was like I hadn't fallen single, but I had to find my solo self in amongst all of this again. So I think you can keep going through a lot of these same feelings. And I would often say to my girlfriend who is single, it's like we're going through the same thing again, but completely different lives. There's a lot to be learnt about our solo selves that really does get very complex in the relationship status. And obviously this book is quite clear that it's for single women, but truly underlyingly, the lessons are going to be there for whoever is interested in, in being strong in their sense of self. And I have learnt that time and time again since the writings of the book started. Yeah, I think that's a really good point. It's you really, the work never stops. If we feel like all the work on ourselves has stopped, we're probably at the end and who, we're not in any hurry to get there, right? <laughs> Coming up, what did Stacey go through that now means there's help for you and how? Moments away on the Curious Life podcast. You talk a lot about your coaching as well, which I'm also really interested in. So you're a self-care coach, Mm -hmm. which I think is fascinating because self-care is one of those concepts that gets talked about all the time, but people never really understand really the depth of what self-care is about. Usually it's like, oh, what do you do for self-care? Oh, you know, uh, I take some time to have a massage or like watch my favorite show. And that's like the tip of the iceberg with self-care. So can you tell us a little bit about how you came to this role and what a self-care coach really is about? I got real specific with this because for a couple of reasons, I had a bit of an imposter syndrome around being any form of, I guess, any form of counsel for people that was, I was really nervous about that. I had really had this kind of old school idea in my head that if I don't have this therapist degree and all this kind of stuff, that who am I to share? Who am I to support? And I had to really work through that. So what that allowed me to do was get very specific on what I felt like I really could offer. Now I've gone and done a heap of training and coaching specifically around coaching. And I have this life coach, I suppose, certificate, but I never, ever felt like I resonated with that. I just didn't feel like I could be a coach for all areas of life. It just wasn't something I felt comfortable calling myself, but I also didn't know then what do I do in terms of saying I want to help and share what I've learned to support other people. And when it came to self-care, I realized the kinds of tools and the modalities and the offerings and the teachings that I had learned 
were very solid and that I had really tried and tested. And the more study I did behind the scenes in myself, which therefore was around how I could teach as well, always came back to that real version of what do you want to bring this industry or what do you want to bring this world? And mine was my self-care practices. It kind of started off in this weird way. It was kind of almost like I had to go through my own worth journey and my own imposter syndrome stuff in this industry. I came from a media industry, so I think it it just felt very bizarre for me to do this. I felt like really I found myself here because people were asking it of me and I followed that call. But to really step into it confidently, I had to do a lot of my own work. Mm -hmm. And once I did that, I got real specific on what I felt very confident and very sure in offering. And I don't touch the sides of anything else that I don't feel sure in. And the self-care practices that I've put together have allowed me to create the life of my dreams. And the life of my dreams was not a life I could see. I didn't have the same things that I have now that I, when I was younger, I didn't understand you could step into a media landscape when I couldn't see anybody, particularly any women doing anything like that around me. I didn't know what a university degree looked like. There were so many parts of my life that I've now achieved that I I hadn't seen before. And all of that came from my self-care practice, which is forever changing and ever evolving and constantly I'm constantly now upskilling in a way that's not just about myself but what I can share with my clients and my community but it's all very I don't know very purpose-led because I do feel like again this has been something that is quite clear in what I am not only passionate about but what I know how to to teach because I think as you mentioned self-care hasn't quite yet been deconstructed the way we really need it to be. And when I say deconstructed, I think we even get to adult life and don't really know a lot about being an adult. There's so many elements that we're assumed we will just roll into. Self-care is one of them. How do you self-care that goes to a deeper level of understanding self? Because I don't really find that there's a clarity around what those lessons are and what those practices and tools are specifically. So that's what I do now. And that's what I'm very passionate about doing. And sure, it can involve a bath. But most of the time for my practices, it will be a deep dive into where you are in that day, a deep dive into figuring out how you can ask your body how you are and a deep dive into a conversation with your feelings and your intuition to navigate your life. And when you come from that place, the world is your oyster. You know, it is, things become simple. They don't become easier, but they become simpler. And the vibrancy of your life completely changes to this bright, beautiful, glittery color as opposed to sometimes a dull, lost sense of, I guess I'm a very visual person, so that doesn't really make sense, but that dull loss kind of feeling, I suppose, seems to just go when you start to do self-care work. I love that. And we know how important self-care is on so many levels, but as you say, there aren't a lot of real how-tos in terms of guides to, in terms of actually getting to that deeper level, because even for myself as a therapist, for, yes, you know, I know what you're time. about to say. Yes. Cause I've had therapists as clients and yeah. trust me, that's where the worst I'm surprised me because there's all this idea, but it's so wonderful. You're sharing this and it's so wonderful that they've come through my door as, and it's been humbling, but more exciting to see that these conversations 
conversations are different. Sorry to interrupt, but I just Not get so excited. <laughs> yeah, yeah, totally. Because that's a common misconception. When I do interviews as well, people will say, oh, well, surely you've got it all together. And it's like, couldn't be further from the truth. It's always like you can help somebody else, but it's very difficult to actually do the work on yourself. So I might know all the concepts and I know what I need to be doing, but then I'll get weeks down the track and I haven't done anything and I'm wondering why I'm completely overwhelmed and burning out and not coping and screaming at my kids because uh, my patience has worn away to zero. And then it's very obvious what I need to do and I need to turn it back inwards and do all the work and do all the things, but we need to be doing it consistently. And I guess that's where someone like you would come in to be working with someone to help them put in practical strategies for doing that work every single day. Absolutely. And that's why I've really found a way to offer different, I guess, uh, teachings or offerings to uh, whoever's interested to suit to suit them for how that works. So one-on-one coaching is obviously very specific, but we put together a plan that's specified for that person that I hope I never, not never see them again. But the idea at the end of that is that this isn't a, this isn't like therapy. This isn't something where I necessarily think you should come back every couple of months. We put together a plan and the whole focus is, is that you've got your own self-care management system now that you can then change and evolve as you need and as you see fit whereas the self-care club is more like a gym so it's a smaller price point because it's for as many people that want to join but it is super personal because we build a community in that sense so everybody kind of shares on a chat group around what they're going through for the week and we have a journal prompt and then we have sometimes up to three to four videos of different offerings that you can then check in as you see fit. So you can either work it as a schedule. There's a schedule that goes up on a Saturday, just like a gym schedule when the classes are. And you can either work it as they go up or you can go back and work through themes that you feel called to work. But you're a part of a community that's kind of flexing that intuitive muscle just as we do for our abs. Mm. So there's different offerings. And then there's a boot camp, which you can literally take an online course to work out particular foundations of self-care as you want and you can have it for lifetime. So I have literally found different ways, the same stuff, just kind of packaged in different ways because we are different people that have different requirements of learning too. But really a lot of the work is about teaching others how they can do it for themselves. It's not a, there's not a codependency thing here. (laughs) It's about (laughs) empowering everybody to find their own version of it. And it's not my version of it. It's what I learned to teach myself, which then I feel like you can use to teach yourself. Does that make sense? Absolutely. It's not one way. The whole point is a real practice that we are allowed to express and use that allows us to kind of work it for who we are and what our truth is, or at least figuring out what our truth is. Yeah. Yep. And that's one of the things I love about your book as well. It's not just your story and the things that you've learned. There's a whole section at the back full of resources and tools and exercises to actually get people doing some work and starting to move. It's not just like read this story and hear my experiences. It's like, read this, do the work. It's throughout the book as well and start transforming yourself from, you know, within the first couple of chapters, there's something that you can already start doing. So that's a brilliant idea. And are the exercises in here kind of anything that you've drawn from your self-care club work as well? 
Mm, yeah, there's a lot of tapping that goes on. That is every kind of couple of weeks in the self-care club. There's an introduction to tapping in the boot camp, so you can learn how to do that on your own. There's, uh, like I said, there's a lot of those modalities and principles that have worked for me that I then use in different ways depending on the the kind of person and the way they want to learn. Like I'm looking at schools for my child already and thinking about how limiting they are in terms of the different elements or different ways that kids and we as people learn. So I'm very passionate about making sure that everybody feels like they've got an offering that works very naturally for them, not as a, it is work, but it's got to feel like work that's rewarding and that works in flow with who you are. And that looks very different. So I'll continue to use a lot of the same principles and practices in different ways as much as I can to ensure that as many people feel comfortable, confident and secure in doing this work, not unsure of if it works for them. There'll be a way for it to work for you some. Somehow. And I'm hoping with, I guess, this focus that I can find as many ways to tell the story or share as possible. In the book as well, it is really important for me to be able for people to come out with a practical guide. I think we have been completely opened up to this wonderful world of the internet and wonderful world of social media, but a lot of it leads a bit of a dot, 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 right? You get this motivational meme and you're inspired by it. But dot, 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 what next? What can you do with that feeling? What is that feeling? Like, how do I even understand what I just experienced and felt? So I am very practical. I always have been, always will be, because this doesn't need to be so foreign to people. It doesn't have to sit in the hippie land or the wellness land. It just needs to be broken down basically for everybody. Because if we don't start doing this, we're going to be screwed and our kids are going to be screwed. It's no longer this requirement for the a particular type of person. Our world demands us to be in conversation with our body and our true selves because we are getting fueled a lot of stuff that is one-sided and we have for some time, but it's it's only getting worse, whether it's media or different kinds of opinions now with all of the pandemic, everybody's got a take. If you don't have your take, you can get very easily swept up in somebody else's. So it's pretty important because we're consumed with so many messages that we have a clear phone line to our own voice. So we have our own message sorted first. Yep. Absolutely. I think that's such an important message, especially with social media, as you say. And that's something that I'm often talking with people about. Make sure that you're not consuming all of that content that's going to make you feel terrible about yourself. It's so easy to go down that rabbit hole and do that terrible thing of comparison, which we all know is the worst possible thing we can do. But it's a natural human condition to look at what someone else is doing and compare yourself but it does so much more damage than good so you've got to find the people that inspire you find the people that are giving really good messages like you and the self-care club to lift you up and to get you thinking about who you are and what you want and what you're doing what you're thinking yeah Um, and on that I also think that not only do we need to be finding people that are positive, but we need to be activating it in our lives. Social media has allowed us to be so consumed and take in so much information and it can just take up so much of our time 
really kind of being transfixed on what anyone else is doing, even if they are positive, mm. instead of actually doing something ourselves. And that's why I started the club because I wanted an active participation. We even do a, a monthly membership that everybody, sorry, a monthly intention ceremony where everybody keeps asking me to record it and I won't because it's like, you need to come. I understand there's a flexibility and most of the other videos are pre-recorded. So you, I know everybody's got a busy life, but there does need to be also some accountability that allows you to show up. That's why that's really important at the beginning of the month. If you want to figure out what the intention is and how we're rolling this month, come and be there, connect, be present. It might be online, but it's important that we take on all of the messages we get, but also then find ways to activate them in our lives ourselves, not just live our lives through watching other people. Yeah. And so much of social media is an avoidance or a procrastination from actually doing anything. Even last night, I was like, I'm just going to go and brush my teeth. And I found myself just scrolling Mm. away. Half an hour has gone by. Mm. Like, what am I doing? I could have been in bed Mm. and it's just pointless. You just end up down the rabbit hole. And what is that doing for me? Even if it is positive, it's a really good point to make sure that you do filter your feed but it's also just as an important point to make sure that that filtering is doing something in your actual life yeah you're not just watching other people's positivity you're actually doing something with it for yourself yeah absolutely I think that's key (laughs) (laughs) so it's always good to speak your truth right Stacey has a bit of advice you may not expect when we join Yana and Stacey June in just a sec on the Curious Life podcast. One of the other things I wanted to talk to you about, and this is taking you back a little bit, but back when you were on radio as part of the Thinker Girls, Mm -hmm. it used to come on when I, I don't know where I was, but I was always driving somewhere at the time when you guys were on air. And I just immediately connected important real conversations that were about real things that I was really connecting with. And then all of a sudden you guys were gone. How did you come to that decision to make it a public discussion? Well, half of it was to live truly to who we were and we couldn't necessarily completely not address something so big when we spoke so openly and honestly about everything else. It just made no sense. And the other half was a rational emotion. (laughs) (laughs) So I look back now and I'm like, wow. And especially the two of us together, we became kind of one entity. So if the other was feeling something, then the other would be feeling it. And it would kind of then, it would really move pretty strongly, pretty quickly, (laughs) depending on whatever the scenario was. And so we moved quickly and we moved emotionally and we led with our hearts. Mm. Look, there's going to be not many radio interviews for this book. Let's just say that much. There's an absolute effect when you do this stuff, when you speak out and you say things and then there's an opportunity for them to say something back, but they won't. It's it's a tricky place. To, I mean, look, on the at the end of the day, we really felt like we were fired. But from a technicality perspective, our contracts weren't renewed. But there was no there's nobody wanting to talk about the fact that we were given the impression that we were getting another job. Many moons later, out of that business, out of that you know very intimate relationship, out of that industry to some degree, I still dabble a bit in a lot of the media stuff and will always keep the door open to radio to some degree. I love, I loved my job, but that decision was made 
to be honest and, and transparent, but it does come at a cost for sure. You can't deny that traditional media is still a player in this in this business. Even the podcasting world has now been pretty much picked up by radio companies. It is a big it's a it's a big player and it's important to note that there's repercussions of when you speak up about stuff that people feel like you should keep quiet. Mm-hmm. And so I have mixed feelings about that you know I feel very proud that we stood openly and honestly about what we felt was our experience and we can only ever share what's our experience and I can only ever share what's mine but sitting back on the other side how that affects your opportunities and what that does is something to not be taken lightly I don't have any regrets but I do know that it's important it's okay for you to not necessarily feel like you also need to change the world all the time if it's something that you're unable to completely shift. We were able to change a big conversation and I hope encourage a lot of people to have strength to do that in their own lives by doing so. But it's also okay at this point in my life to not necessarily want to be the first to do everything or the person shifting the conversation at this part of my life. I'm so glad that I did that. But would I do that again with something moving forward? I don't know because I'm in a different phase of my life and not just because I learned that it doesn't all pan out the way you want, more because I also feel like I just don't know if I have that fire in me that I had in the same way. You know, I'm very proud, like I said, but I'm also very different. And I'm also very aware of what that does to your health. It's a lot of pressure. It's a lot of intensity that goes on yourself and your family and your friends and your personal relationships. So yeah, I think that it was an incredible time. And I'm really grateful that you shared that you thought it was awesome that we did that. But I think it's also important to be transparent of what that all looked like later too. And I, yeah, I guess I can understand when they maybe choose to not share. It's like a miscarriage. A lot of people say, I want people to talk about it more. But until you miscarry, you you just go, oh, okay, this is probably why people don't talk about it. Mm. It's pretty hard. Yeah. <laughs> so you kind of start to understand whilst it's important to share a lot, there's also reasons why people feel like they might not want to and that's okay too. Yeah, and I guess like you were saying at the beginning of this interview, you're a storyteller and that's probably something that comes naturally for you and maybe you're sharing your stories in a different way now and there's so, I mean, look, you certainly don't hold back in this book. Like you've, <laughs> you know, no. let's, let's be honest, we've been in the bedroom with you quite a few mm-hmm. times throughout mm-hmm. this book, which I think mm-hmm. is fabulous. These are brave moves. So you might feel like you understand why other people might not want to put everything out there, but you're still doing it and you're still, you are changing conversations still to this day through everything that you're doing here in the book. Thank you. Thank you very much for saying that. I think as well, it's important. I suppose I felt like it was important to share that reality because we are all sharing a lot now Mm -hmm. and it's okay to consider some things too. It's okay to take a beat and not necessarily jump straight online. It's it's okay to have that. I, I suppose there's elements of my career and what I've done that a lot of people have found awe in because we did share and have shared and I've always shared so much. But I also think that there's, yeah, there's, there's a real, I suppose, maturity and grace in taking a beat. Mm. And, and I know that that's where I'm at at the moment in terms of there's no lack of sharing from me, but there may be a bit of a different process behind the scenes of, of how that's, that's done. So much more that we could go into, but I am aware that you have 
somewhere else to be. Yeah, another interview, (laughs) my goodness. That's right. So what is the best way for people to get in touch with you and where can they get this beautiful little book? Well, so I'm told it's in bookshops and at Kmart and all those big W and all those places that dimmicks and things where it is, I guess. I mean, it's so bizarre to be in a a time where I'm not, it's very new publishing for me. I've got a few books in me, so I don't think that it will be the last book that I'll do. I definitely have got the writing bug. It's such a wonderful process. It's such a slower process. I'm so used to immediate content. Like I was sharing, I feel very differently about sharing now, but it's still such a beautiful way to share because it's so considered and every decision is so deliberate. But this process is really new. So I'm not, it's everywhere, I guess. You can buy it on Amazon, online. And of course, my website, stacyjune.com is where you can find information about coaching or the club if that is of interest to you. And of course, the gram. You can find my life there pretty much. It's definitely not as much as it used to be. But for normal people standards, it's still a shitload. Uh, So yeah, there's always activity going on there. And it's where I suppose I share most of my new projects and things that I'm busy working on first. Fantastic. Well, I will make sure I put the links to all of that in the show notes so people can just click through and find you easily. But Stacey, thank you so much for your time. I can't wait to see what's coming next for you and to see the continued success of your beautiful new book. And thank you for making the conversation about self-care such an important one and such an honest one, because I think as we touched on before, it's something that people don't do very well and don't do consistently. So we all could do with a little bit of help from Coach Stacey. So make sure that you keep, I hope you just keep doing what you're doing because I think there's so much we can all take from it. So thank you. Thank you very much. And thank you for being such a wonderful, open-minded therapist, sharing all different elements of ways to look after themselves. I think that I'm in awe of that. I think that's pretty cool. Oh, that's very kind of you. (laughs) Well, absolutely. I think we all bring something different to the table and we all need to take whatever works for us from wherever it comes. So yeah, it's a good fit for all my listeners and certainly for anyone out there who's a human being and needs to do a bit of thinking about what they're doing with themselves. Thank you so much for having me. It's been wonderful. Nice chatting. Thanks for listening. We would love it if you left us a rating for this episode. And catch up with Yana for more inspiration and info on how to get to the stories that tap into your passion on Instagram and Facebook at The Curious Life Podcast. By the way, are you looking for a fabulous podcast editor or producer? Well, use ours. Julie Reynolds will turn your audio lemons into audio lemonade. Check her out at audiolemonade.com. Listener.